done. And to that uh, piece of shit lieutenant that's always uh, on his podcast, uh, bashing us, fuck him. <laughs>
And just so that everybody's aware, we're going to keep going even harder. And it just shows the, the it just shows the fact. It just shows the fact that you're all scrambling because you're dirty. There's other things under there that we don't know about and we don't even care about, but it's rumbling in the back of your heads and you're scared and the lights coming on. You're scrambling like a bunch of cockroaches. Uh, absolutely. The fact that it's come to the point of intimidation tactics and, you know, try to instill some third party fear into Sal Greco is absolutely ridiculous and just shows that Sal's campaign is completely accurate. Sal was terminated for absolutely nothing. It should have been a slap on the wrist. I mean, listen, so Sal, and, and that's the one thing I have to give credit to Sal. Sal's never shied away. He's never he's never lied about having a friendship with Roger Stone. What he's saying is, hey, listen, okay, you want to give me a slap on the wrist? If that's the policy that I can't have a friendship with Roger Stone. But if that's the case, well, then Mayor, Mayor Eric Adams and all his constituents should be treated the same, right? Discipline is supposed to be fair and equitable. And Mayor, and Mayor Eric Adams, you know, admits to having a relationship with Mike Tyson in the past. And I say it all the time, I love Mike Tyson, but he did security work for Mike Tyson, and he got a slap on the wrist. And Sam Greco has a friendship with Roger Stone. He's been coined as doing uncompensated security, not even compensated security. There's a new terminology, uncompensated security. And now since he's putting the pressure on, he's getting death threats. But you know what? Listen, I have a tattoo on me, death before dishonor, and I believe in that. I'd rather die for something than live for nothing. And you know what? San Greco, we got to know him, and I got to know him uh, from doing this podcast and, and through several interviews and talking to him now. I stand by Sal. I think Sal's a good man, and he's not going to cower away, and they're not going to instill fear in him. He's going to fight even harder, and we support him, and we're going to fight with him. Yeah, and, and just, you know, you guys are cops, so stop playing gangsters. I mean, Sal is, is a big media figure now. He's connected to the 45th president of the United States. So anything that should or would happen now will be held accountable and somebody will be knocking on your door and it will, it will and they will be have the authority to arrest you because they won't be from New York City. So just so we know, stop the nonsense, play like gentlemen, settle the case with them. You guys messed up, did something wrong, should have never been fired in the first place. Settle the case. I think we have said enough on that. Why don't we talk about this clip before we show it? All right. What, what, I, I, this is Eric's favorite clip. I watched it. I saw it. I knew Eric would love it. Um, so, I mean, I actually, what do you think, Eric? Should we just get right into the clip? Uh, listen, just play the clip. It, it, it speaks volumes. All right. It's going to be it's going to be about uh, two minutes, 30 seconds of, again, it's Chief Kemper, He's on Fox 5 in the morning. He's with Rosanna Scotto and Bianca Peters, and they actually press him, but it starts with Bianca Peters. So listen to the questions she asks him and then listen to his response. Deranged man gets on the train telling the guy and his girlfriend, I'm going to rape you. I'm going to rape your girlfriend. It's harassing them, saying that. And I, you're stuck in a train for a couple, you know, a couple minutes, and I immediately ran off. But what is a guy supposed to do when a guy is telling his girlfriend, I'm going to rape you? That is a threatening statement. Mm -hmm. You could probably get in very much in trouble for that, but nothing happens. Well, listen, these unfortunate incidents, and uh, they occur. And, and these are challenges we face, but there, there's so many options or uh, advice that I would give. And, you know, first and foremost, try and escape yourself or, or take yourself out of the situation. Uh, if it's on a subway car, step off at the next stop. If it's on a platform or a mezzanine area, uh, go to a different area. But on the subway cars, there's also intercom buttons that you could push uh, with a direct connection to the conductor. 
Um, you could call 911. The MTA mm -hmm. invested a lot of money to, uh, in, in Wi-Fi. Uh, very, very good uh, Wi-Fi system with his connections. Uh, but the name of the game is try and defuse it. Uh, I would avoid eye contact and, and step away. Say, let me just ask you, because we just, we just talked about this incident. Uh, you know, the woman filming a guy saying some derogatory things to her, he punched her in the face. Like, what, what, it's kind of difficult. This was yesterday? This was yesterday. Well, well, I would get the police immediately, call the police. And, and, and step away, try to defuse the situation, find a police officer, talk to a train conductor. Each train conductor has immediate access uh, for, to the police. Mm -hmm. and, and listen, uh, I know uh, your, your viewers, have, we have um, increased our personnel and our deployment in the subway system in massive numbers. Mm -hmm. You know, as I sit here right now, we're, we're upwards of uh, about a thousand additional cops deployed into the subway system uh, to ensure safety. But Chief, you know, listen, as New Yorkers, <laughs> oh my god wow all right Eric, i'll give you the first <laughs> wow first of all let's just say this you know before john and i do these podcasts we discuss we have an idea of what we're going to discuss and how long it's going to take to discuss a particular situation you know depending on how expressive we are and how much detail is going on in a particular incident i could speak about this three minute clip for weeks and months. First of all, I'm just going to say this, right, John? <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That is a chief of the New York City Police Department, of the most iconic police department in the entire world. I feel safe. And that, what? I feel safe. I, I, first of all, <laughs> listen, Chief Kemper, I'm talking directly to you right now. Maybe you think you could pull the wall over the eyes of the interviewers that have no police experience. And even then, they saw right through your bullshit. But you can't pull the wall over our eyes. And the cops watching right now, you know what? I don't know you personally, but I, 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 I'm, I'm good when it comes to observation skills. And I've made my observations about you. And clearly, you have no concerns about public safety. All you care is about pandering to the public. And you don't want to talk about the big buzzword. Self-defense. You don't want to talk about Daniel Penny. You totally danced around the truth. That's what this is about. What do you think, John? <laughs> oh, I think, I, dude, you just stole the words out of my mouth. 100%. I mean, listen, I, 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 I'll give him, I'm going to give him a little break because he's on national TV. It's intimidating. He's with Bianca Peters. He's probably a little flustered. Rosanna Scotto is probably a little flustered. He's on national TV. He knows everybody's listening. He knows the whole department's listening. The whole city's listening. I mean, the, the whole country's listening because New York City subways are a thing that's talked about constantly in the news. The, the uptick in crime, you know, Rosanna Scotto goes, oh, we know crime's down. Crime is, is down in short spans. If you want to look back over five years, over two years, crime's up significantly. So that's not, crime isn't down. Um, you know, what we've done is deploy officers there in a diminished department and we're working them to death like we just spoke about on the last episode so he, he hasn't added a thousand new officers he's just taking officers that are overworked and tired and throwing them down on the trains and it's obviously not producing the desired effects because as as bianca peters she gives him the scenario she gives him the scenario you're trapped in a train car and somebody says i'm going to rape your girlfriend so you're trapped in the train car. Now, I agree with him. If you could get yourself out of that situation, 
and your and your loved one out of the situation, a thousand percent. Get away from them. But you're on a train car. There's not only so far you could go. You could try to go to the other side of the train car. You could try to call 911. The thing that I almost choked on myself when I watched it, I almost choked on the water that I was drinking, is that when he says, don't make eye contact. What'd you think about that? I mean, that is that is the most cowardice. On, and, and not only, I forget cowardice. Forget cowardice. I think that is impedes safety. I think that impedes your safety to not make eye contact. To let someone know I'm a threat and I'm vulnerable and you can do whatever you want. What do you think about that? I've taken part in martial arts programs my entire life, including within the Marine Corps and onto the New York City Police Department. I, I've taken part of self-defense programs. I've actually taught some self-defense programs myself, which include the uh, NYPD Explorers, the kids coming up in the New York City Police Department, learning about the foundation of policing. And what I can tell you is this. And this is this is a great tip. I hope the public is listening. I'm going to give you the real tips, not what this what this chief is giving you because it's complete bullshit. You and I both know that at family dinner or any situation, this is not the speech he's given to his family. And if it is, shame on him. I, I mean, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. First of all, yes. Let, let's let me give you a scenario. Let's say, for instance, it's midnight, and you and for some reason. You are forced to get on a subway car. That's your only mode of transportation, whatever the situation is. But let's say it's Friday night and it's midnight and you're getting on a train car with your girlfriend. This is right. This is the scenario. You're with your girlfriend. You're getting on this train car. We could predict. All right. Depending on, on where in the city we're at. But let's say we're in Manhattan. Right. And most most likely we're going to see people that are intoxicated, people that are coming and going maybe from restaurants, clubs, lounges, whatever the case. It's midnight. Obviously, when you get onto this train car that's going to be packed at midnight, you don't want to make eye contact and engage in groups. Let's say there's a group of young males anywhere from 18 to, uh, to 21, 25 years old. They're a little bit liquored up. They're having a good time, and and they're getting those beer muscles. You and your girlfriend don't want to start making eye contact and engage them and entering their world because now you're going to open up a new can of worms where you may get yourself into a situation, right? That I understand when you don't want to make eye contact. But when someone has already cornered you in a subway car and already giving personalized threats and directing their attention to you, well, it's too late to avoid eye contact. Now we have to maintain eye contact, keep our eyes on the threat. We have to watch their hands. We have to make sure that we get a complete description of everything that they're wearing. We want to know everything about that person. Also, as a self-defense tip that I teach, is that you want that person to know that you identify them. You don't want to, at this point, you cannot look away. Obviously, you don't want to get yourself in a fighting stance. Because that and, and makes something aggressive, but you want to have your hands in a position which I call indexing. Okay, what is indexing? That means your hands are higher than your adversary. Your hands are up. Maybe they're in the prayer position. Maybe they're just up talking, but they're ready and alert. God forbid this person does strike you, and you are making eye contact because they need to know that you can identify them. That is the scenario. That's not what he's talking about. Okay, he's completely wrong, and he's going to get people hurt because he doesn't want. Daniel Penny's out there. Maybe Jordan Williams, but he sure as hell doesn't want Daniel Penny. I mean, so a normal response that I would expect from a chief is obviously self-defense should be your last resort, right? And I agree. And if he would have said that, I would agree with that statement. 
but he never says it. And and you're 100% right, because if he says it, he will have angered his, his progressive masters who want Daniel Penny to go to jail, who want to disregard the fact that Daniel Penny acted well within the law. And again, like I said, if he perceived serious physical injury or death to himself or to another on that subway car, he could have used deadly physical force knowingly, intentionally, whether that be a gun, a knife, whatever it is, and, and actually try to stop the threat. And if that ended in the person's death by use of deadly physical force, that's fine. And, and he wants to totally disregard from that because he doesn't want to anger his progressive masters. And that's what I hear there. And I, and I totally agree. Yeah, you don't want to just go around looking around like you're looking for a fight or you want to get into people's worlds. No. But you want to know what's going around. You want to know what's going on around you. And when, and when you're cornered and you have no, no say at this point anymore, there's really nothing you could do other than make eye contact, right? And, and then if, if you have to engage, then you engage. You have to defend yourself. I, I was telling Eric, I, I left the UFC fight on Saturday. I walked away from the arena. I was in Jacksonville. It's a little seedy where it is. Uh, two young kids. They look like derelicts. I don't know if they were homeless, drug addicts. They appeared to be very violent, clinching their fists, walking down the block. One of them beelined right towards me. I put my phone right in my pocket. I made eye contact with him. I clenched my fist and I stood there and they walked off on the side. He never got too close to me. But I, the reason I clenched my fist is because if he would have came in my striking distance, I would have struck. I would have struck him first. I would have defended myself. And in the same scenario, you're trapped in a car with with your with your significant other, your girlfriend, your your son, your daughter. You want to get out of there, but at some times, that at some at some point, self defense is your only option. Is what I'm getting. At. Oh, absolutely. And, and if, in a situation as such, where 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 she presented and saying, well. This guy is already directed his attention, saying, I'm going to rape your girlfriend. You're already in that situation. You're already in this person's world. You have to make eye contact at this point. Yes, you want to do everything in your power. That I agree. Even if I know wholeheartedly that I can overpower someone and overcome resistance easily, I'll do everything in my power to walk away, to create distance. If I can walk away and defuse it without physically engaging someone into a confrontation, it's a win. Absolutely. But it's also a catch-22 in the situation that you don't want to appear meek and look away from this person. You don't want to appear meek and timid because that may create a more vulnerable situation for you and your girlfriend. And you don't want to appear to be overly aggressive either to where you're challenging this person. That's why you have to find somewhere in the middle where you're engaged in eye contact, watching their hands, getting a full description. And I used to always teach my guys, don't get a description from head to toe. Get your description from toe to head. And the reason why I say is, God forbid, something happens. In most cases, people will change their clothes, but for some reason, they don't change their shoes. So I used to teach my men and women to get a description from toe to head. And what's important about that also is when you're engaged in that conversation, yes, you want to try to de-escalate it. You want your hands in a position where they're at the alert and ready, but not appearing that you want to fight, but you have to maintain eye contact. The other part of a statement I do not like is when he says you have the option to get off the subway car. Now, what if you're a tourist? Or what if you're, you're, you're just, you get off the subway car, and now you're in a neighborhood that you're unfamiliar, and now maybe you're in a, in a neighborhood that's kind of sketchy, and now you get yourself into another vulnerable situation. So now that the potential victim has to get inconvenienced. I, what do you think about that statement? I don't like that statement. I don't like it at all. 
I, I think, yeah. I, I agree with him, though. If, if, if it comes down to you have to fight or you're able to get off of the situation, I, I get what he's saying. I don't like that he's saying you should be inconvenienced and not making a big deal of it. Oh, you have options. You can get off. You don't have to get on that train car. And I've done that in my life. You know, I've done that where I'm with my girlfriend or my wife or I'm with my, my daughters and I see a scenario and I'm like, you know what? We'll, we'll get the next one. Well, we're not walking down that block. We'll take the long way. You know, I've, I've done that numerous times in my life, but you know, he's making it as it's not, you know, almost as, as if there is a physical encounter, it's going to be your fault for not getting off or, or getting on that train in the first place. It has nothing to do with it. There's an emotionally disturbed, violent person on the train assaulting people, more than likely end up stabbing someone. Um, you know, I, and, I, and I'll give him credit. Like, I'll, I'll tell, like I said, I think he's in a tough spot. He doesn't want to anger his progressive masters, but that's who he is. You know, I don't believe, again, I, I, it's, it's a clear case for why they should remove the, the rank of chief, the actual title. They should just call them city managers because that's what they are. That was a management statement. That was not a leadership statement. Yeah, I agree. That's that's what I'm trying to say. Like, I agree. What, 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 let me circle back and just say what I'm what you're saying here and reflect on it. I do the same thing. I agree. Part of self-defense, and people have to understand, there's a difference between training in martial arts and self-defense. Self-defense is not just the actual engagement of a martial arts experience with someone physically, but self-defense is actually smart thinking, uh, and it's it's the ability to engage by disengaging, right? And also. What exactly what you said? If if I went to a bar with my wife or girlfriend or you know, and this is my recommendation, someone. And if you see, and and, and that's the beauty about being uh, doing police work, right? Those observation skills. You see things happening before they actually happen. Yes, if I saw something happening before it happens, I'll remove myself from that situation, not to put us in a vulnerable situation. But what he's saying, the idea that I got from him is that what you know what if the perpetrator is is being persistent, it's the duty is on the victim. To leave that train. That's the impression I got from him. Yes, obviously, John, I agree with you. If you're walking down the street and there's three people on the opposite side of the street and they're giving that indication that there may be a confrontation and it's better off just walking around a different location, not because you're scared, because you're smart, right? And everybody should have a little fear because what fear is that is your friend. Fear keeps you safe. But I didn't like the way, the manner that he gave that statement. And I think that he has a duty to tell the public that you have a right to, to self-defense. Self-defense is not just the art of physically engaging someone. Self-defense is being smart, watching the person, knowing, you know, maybe taking a different route, but understanding where you are, identifying that person, and letting them know that you are aware of who they are and that you're watching them because they're watching you. And he's not saying that here. You know, he's not speaking anything in backbone. What you're saying is right. He's pandering to his masters, his progressive stance, his position. He's compliant in his position because he wants to move up when the New York City Police Department. His concern is not about public safety. His concern about is, is about himself. Clearly, he was fumbling on his answer. and He had no clue, and he did not provide a legitimate. It, I, you know what? I just think his answer was completely disingenuous. No, I agree with you. I think he does put the onus on, on the victim. I do. You know, and we are, uh, and I've said it a thousand times, New York City is a victim-less society. Victim-less. Criminals over everything. Criminals over everybody. You know, and, you know, and whatever it is, like, I don't care. The guy's emotionally disturbed. Guess what? He's committing a crime. I don't really give a fuck. He's the, right at that moment in time. He's a criminal. 
I'm sorry. Right at that moment in time, he's a criminal. I know he's not there or whatever, whatever you want to get at. If it was me and I lost my mind, guess what? I'm still breaking the law. It doesn't matter. You know, it's not it's not on the onus of everybody else to have to be totally inconvenienced and walked around. And and at the end of the day, like, you know, we keep hearing this. Oh, a thousand extra cops, this, that, all the overtime money that's being spent. Why is all of this violence happening inside of New York City subways where even news anchors are telling you what they're getting into on the train? So it's not just these one offs. Oh, yeah, it's a right wing talking points. No, everybody's seeing it. I mean, it's on the news all day long. It's it's insane. Absolute insanity. Yeah. Also, let's reflect also what we're saying before. Right. They're saying that crime is down now. That's complete semantics. You and I know the statistics, and statistics can be manipulated. And what they're doing, right? They're robbing from Peter, robbing from Peter to pay Paul. So they're taking a thousand cops that could be in another location, or they're overworked doing extra overtime, and they're not really a hundred percent in the game because they're so they're burning the candle on both ends. They're exhausted. They're commuting on both ends. That there's no morale. They're exhausted. They're not even paying attention. So they're just a thousand bodies. But if they're flooding a particular transit location or subway car or particular platform because of stabbings that we're getting, we're not curbing crime. All we're doing is displacing crime. So, yes, maybe for that week or just as you said, small segments, that week or two weeks we'll have, we'll have a decrease in a particular crime index in that location on the subway. But watch and look in particular where crime is increasing in another location. So right now, you ask me, the police department, it's like this big giant bucket, right? And if we put a thousand holes and we pour water into it and we try to cover those holes with our hands, there's only so many holes that we cover and the water still gets through. So that's what's happening. Yeah, for two weeks, sure. On this particular subway car, we'll see a decrease, but then we'll see an increase at another location. Complete semantics. So today's June 26th. On June 12th, Key Chan Sewell announces her resignation. And I could clearly see why in this command staff, Eric Adams isn't able to appoint a police commissioner from this command staff. And if he does, I mean, what has taken him so long? I mean, you could clearly see, do you believe this guy's in the running for the police commissioner or exhibited any type of leadership in his time of transit that he could should be in the running for the police commissioner? Absolutely not. I think that this this chief chief Kemper exhibits zero leadership to me. The only reason that he's in that position is not because he any had any talent or any tools better than any, anyone else. He just stuck around. People were retiring. He stuck around. That's all it was. He stuck around on the job. He exhibits zero leadership. And exactly what you said. He's not a leader. He's a manager. A manager a manager manages things. A leader leads people. And that's the difference. But he doesn't understand that. He's not giving advice that is best for public safety and for the people. That's bad advice. He's not giving. I, I guarantee when he sits down, he talks to his wife, kids, whoever the case is. That's not the advice that he's giving. And if it is, you know, what? he's a complete coward. He should not be in that position. Honestly, right now, he should be removed from that immediately. Subways are, are right now the most prolific part of New York City right now when it comes to crime. The stabbings are out of control. The, me the, the mentally deranged are in the subways right now. It's a horrible place. And he has zero plan. Zero plan. We heard his plan months ago. I think it was in December where he talked about the increase of, of assaults on police officers, what was the effect in driving the crime in the subways. And all they're doing right now is just flooding with presence, and they have not come up with an actual plan that is sustainable. They have zero plan going forward 
moving a thousand cops from one location to another displaces crime. It does not curb crime. Absolutely. And, and like we said, it's not like we, we both believe in, in intrusive police work and in, in proactive police enforcement where you would go take the knives off. You would enforce um, you would enforce hopping turnstiles. You would enforce urinating, defecating. You would remove homeless people from the train station. Maybe on a freezing cold night you wouldn't because you don't want them to die on the street. But in the summertime, they could go out on the street. They don't need to be camped out in, 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 in a 100-degree subway. And they shouldn't be camped out in an air-conditioned train car either, inconveniencing passengers, tourists, people trying to get to work, uh, residents, you know. So, like, but we – but we're not and we don't have the policy to do that at this point. You know, everything is set up to basically document these guys into oblivion, into being the most complained cop in the NYPD for doing their job, not for doing anything wrong. They're self-reporting on themselves with every interaction they're having, which is creating inspection cases, IAB cases, CCRB cases. And nobody could sustain for doing that for a 25-year career. And I don't even think a five-year career. I mean, you know, here we are, Eric Dim. He's on his number six. He hasn't been retired a year yet. Number six lawsuit in retirement. Six lawsuits in retirement that he has to worry each single time, am I going to be held personally responsible for doing my job? And half of the stuff he wasn't even on scene for or there for. And he's getting sued for it anyway, personally. And, you know, I mean, it just goes to show, like, what, you know, what's going on. So, yeah, we believe in intrusive police work, but you need the manpower to do it. And you need the policy and you need the legislation to support it. But pretending that everything's fine, like certain retired guys want to do that held the title of assistant commissioner, that's not helping either. Back to blue, cops count, police matter. It sounds great, but what are we doing to actually try to get New York City to achieve where we once were with public safety? What are we doing to do that? Nothing. We're pandering to the far left. Yeah, again, that's why we have to go back to what he's saying. And he's leaving out the most important part. He's completely circling around. And and, and during the interview, I, I, I got the impression that they were – they were waiting for him to say something about self-defense and Daniel Penny as well, but completely he's trying to avoid that conversation. And I'm surprised that they actually didn't go further and ask him about Daniel Penny in particular, because he exhibited exactly what, what we expect someone to do. And that is to defend others and to defend himself. Yes. It's unfortunate. Something could end up in a tragic, tragic death. And yes, we have to, the advice has to be by all means to avoid confrontations but there is legitimate evil in this world. There are people that are evil. There are people that are in mental crisis. And it's unfortunate we can't save everyone, right? John, we, we can't. There are people that are in mental crisis. But at the same token, John, if you and I get on the subway tonight and someone is in a mental crisis, you know what? The issues that they have are far beyond what we could do for them at this point. We have a duty to protect ourselves. We should love ourselves and our loved ones to protect ourselves at this point. Even if that person is in mental crisis, we have to do what's necessary to keep ourselves safe. Yes, we will do everything in our power to not engage this person, but at some point, if that's the only choice that we have, and it's between you going home and someone else, by sure, you have to protect yourself. You have a right. You should love yourself enough to protect yourself from bodily harm. And he did not say that. He failed to say that. And I think he's failing the people by not saying that. 
So I'm sure tomorrow morning in 1PP, we'll be getting cursed out as we normally do when we send out tweets and send out podcasts. So I'm sure people will be drinking their coffee, F them, this, that, the other thing. So I do have one question for you. You're on the subway car. You're sitting there. You get cornered by a violent, irate male. And he says, he looks you in the face and he says, I'm going to rape your girlfriend. And I want to, and I'm not even just directing it to the chiefs. I'm directing it to everybody especially our politicians that these chiefs are beholden to. How do you de-escalate that situation? Explain de-escalation for me, big guy. You know? It's funny that you say that, right? Because in his interview, he said that we face challenges, but we have options. I, this must be like the new word for the police department, because I heard... Right? <laughs> I heard Mark Stewart say that we have options. So, you know, but like, guess what? Chief Kemper, sometimes when you're on a packed subway car, you might not have options. If so, and we've seen it, we've seen time after time, especially in the past couple of years, the, the the incidents on the subway with knives have been out of control. We've seen people slashed and stabbed without provocation, without without no reason. So, to advise people to take your eyes off the off of them, to not maintain eye contact at that point is completely irresponsible. That's not good advice. You know, I think we have a duty, not only as the New York City Police Department, to protect people by protecting them with the police department doing actual police work, but we have a duty to protect people by educating them on how to interact with the public. You have to maintain eye contact. You have to watch your hands. You have to make a mental note in your mind of everything that they're wearing, what their nose looks like. You want to know everything about that person, what, how they breathe, what they sound like, everything because god forbid something does happen so that you could actually report that to the police and then he also talks about pressing a button i mean it's absolutely ridiculous it sounds cute i mean this guy is in your in your face and cornering you on a subway and we all know sometimes when people get cornered on a subway other people on that subway platform are, they may get afraid as well or they don't want to get involved so they start to remove themselves and separate so it really becomes an isolated incident and you're on an island now with this person that's poking at you and your girlfriend and you're going to press a button that's not always feasible it sounds great it does it's man press a button and someone's going to come help you but do you know what the average amount of time an actual physical confrontation a fight lasts do you know they did a, did a study? Do you know how long it lasts? Uh, and how much people? 90 seconds? I don't know. What is it? Seven seconds. In seven seconds, someone can meet their demise. Someone could be slashed in the face. That's all it takes. So, uh, so the idea of taking your eyes off this person, I think is just completely insane. So my wife, when I was dating her and like girls that I dated and just females that I knew that worked in, in New York City, you know, I mean, it's it's a scary place, right? It's never been like even even at the height of 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 broken windows in like 2011, 2012, when you could walk around New York City at three o'clock in the morning and probably be unbothered, and probably you could ride the train and probably be unbothered. Um, there was still always that fear of everybody, right? Everybody always had that fear, like, oh, you know, I'm a single girl, I'm walking down the block, I get scared. There's two guys there, or there's a, there's a crazy guy there. Um, you know, what should I do? And I would always give the advice, get pepper spray, you know? And they would always ask me that everyone, I, it's like never fails. Well, is that legal? And I'm like, well, are you going to just walk around and spray people in the face for no reason? 
And they're like, no. And I'm like, well, you're gonna, you would use it as a last resort, right? Like if you were, you felt your life or, or, you know, you felt you were physically in harm, like you would use it, right? You would shake it up. I would tell them, you know, take it out of your bag, shake it up, spray the person in the face. Once, once they're too close to you and you feel you can't get, you get, and they, they keep trying to get distance on you and you're trying to get away, spray them in the face. And they would ask again, is it legal? And I'm like, who cares? Carry pepper spray. So that's my advice if you're riding New York City trains. Listen, it's horrible. You might mace other people on a train. You might even mace yourself. But I'm not going to give anybody the advice of carrying a knife or an illegal firearm and trying to stab someone and get into a knife fight. But, however, I think, I think you know, if you're on a subway car by yourself and you can't get off, have pepper spray. Shake that up first because it sits at the bottom. Spray people in the face and don't be afraid to do it. Uh I think that's a great statement. I, I just want to piggyback on, on that a little bit because I actually, I actually used to promote that in the self-defense programs with the police department. Uh, but I do believe this. Anyone out there, man or woman, whatever the case is, whatever you decide, if you decide to carry pepper spray or you decide not to or you decide to engage into a martial arts program or a self-defense program, however you decide to maintain your safety, make sure that you train these things. And the reason why I say it's 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 great. I, I agree. You should carry pepper spray. But if you are going to carry pepper spray, actually train where you're going to carry it and how you're going to deploy it. Because it sounds great, but I used to do this with my with my wife, and a long time ago, she used to carry pepper spray going to work, and, and I, I and, and I she had to walk kind of like a, a little bit of a seedy area, a little bit of a desolate area in a parking lot, getting to her car at night, and I would say, okay, listen. Where is your pepper spray? It was at the bottom of her bag, you know, below her makeup and all her stuff. And I said, so, okay, I'm a guy right now. I'm trying to rob you. I'm, try I'm trying to rob you. All right, ready? Go. So I was able to grab the bag before she could even get to it. So my advice out there for any men or women out there, if you decide to carry pepper spray, train. Put it in the same spot every day and make sure that you can actually get to it. Practice. Practice going to your if it's in your bag. Practice where in your bag it is if you can actually get to it. Because if you can't get to it, now you have another problem. It's the same thing I used to teach my cops to unload their firearms and train to actually dry fire. You know, can you actually get to your gun? God forbid you were knocked on the ground and someone knocked you, you're almost unconscious. Can you get to your firearm? Can you get your firearm out? So it's so important to have self defense mechanisms. But you have to train and practice. And I'm confident in this. The more that you train in self-defense or martial arts or physical fitness, the less likely someone will engage you in a confrontational situation. So there is a fine line. Jocko Wilnick talks about this all the time, right? Jocko Wilnick, the people who know him out there, former Navy SEAL, has his own podcast. He spoke about this, and I really agree with this. People, you know, even those in mental crisis, are the predators out there. They look for prey. So they, they look for easy prey. They're looking for people that they walk a certain way. They're, they they stand a certain way. They, they, they even did a study that when people walk, if they take small steps versus someone that takes bigger steps, they appear to be prey. So it's important that you make yourself appear not to be overly confident, but not to be meek either. So it has to be balanced. And with your training, people will see this and it will avoid confrontation. It's important. That we do that. That's why it's important uh, that we are dangerous and we're able to control it. Not that we're weak and we have to uh, rely on, on, on fear.
I think that's well said. Yeah, if you do carry pepper spray, you should be in the same spot every time. Maybe switch it up. I know the girls like that purse, so where is it in my purse? Where can I get to it? Guys, maybe a right front pocket. But if it's the winter time now and you're on the train, you got a big coat, you know, in the in a pocket where you keep your hands, where it's normal, where you could just get to it right away if you need to it. 100%. And, you, and, and just right by thinking about those things and doing that thing, it puts you in that present. It puts you in the presence of, oh, if God forbid this happened, Right. And that's really what training is. Right. What you lift weights, shadow box, you do jujitsu, you do whatever it is. You're training for that worst case scenario where you have no choice, where you can't step off the train. You can't get on another train. You can't hit the thing. The Wi-Fi doesn't fucking matter. Like, it, you know, like you're training for all these things. Like, it doesn't matter that the MTA spend all this money on Wi-Fi, you know, so. And 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 that's not you know you need you need the presence of mind too of how I'm going to react if this happens to me. I mean you know I I'm a little over the top, but when I'm walking down New York City streets or even if I'm here in Florida and I'm walking down the block like I just said in Jacksonville, I'm already looking ahead of I if this guy does something weird. But I am it's it's the animal kingdom, so you're profiling everybody. You're not racially profiling them, but you're profiling them. Is this person a threat to me? Are these people a threat to me, right? Should I be concerned here? All right, if I am, is this a good part? Should I just cross the street? Should I do that? You know, um, and if you know how you, if you think about how you'll react, you will react that way. If God forbid it comes, because like we said, under stress, you revert, you go into your innate self, your brain shuts down. You don't even know what's going on. Adrenaline kicks in, boom. What's going to happen? You're going to go right to what, how you trained, and, and what you thought about and where it is. Boom. There it is. Boom. Shake it up. Spray it. Um, did you well, see, uh, not to get off topic, but did, did you see the uh, the Pride Parade? I, I think this was the most violent Pride Parade ever. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you and I were talking about that, right? I mean, we have we have a, we have a guy that's completely just bleeding profusely from, from his head. He was hit over the head with a bottle. Uh, really concerning. You know what? Listen, I'm a big advocate to fight for the cops, to fight for the police department. But, I mean, in this particular video, I mean, I, I didn't see the entire video. Obviously, we always have to see the entirety of the video. But I see the cops, they all had their back turned to him. Uh, they weren't helping him. It just, uh, it's really sad that we come to that point that we're trying to avoid engaging people. And, uh, and, and we're all afraid of identity politics. It's really sad. This guy needed some serious attention. What do you think about that? So I spoke to one of the independent, I spoke to the independent reporter that actually was videotaping him while that was going on. And he told me that he told the cops and supervisors on scene, I know who it is. The guy is in the park right now. I'll point them out to you. And they said, we're not going in there to get them. We'll get them another day. Um, you know, I don't know. And I, I could see why it was so violent. You know, bottles were being thrown. There were numerous people assaulted, stabbed. I watched a ton of videos. There were cars being jumped on. People were dancing on top of people that were not involved in this parade's car, breaking their cars up, dancing on it. Um, we, I, I don't even know how many arrests were made. I don't. I think very little, if any. I think very little, if any. And it was like I, you know, I, I, from my, from you know, my experience, the parade parade was always a long, long parade, right? It would always go. To, they would end there. They would stay there all night, but it was never violent. Right. They were just hanging out, partying, all this. But now you had everybody. They had BLM there. You had Antifa there. You know, you had people celebrating pride. But there was a lot of violence, a lot of stabbings, a lot of 
just insane things where bottles are just being thrown. Everyone's just getting hit. Innocent people are just getting hit. Um, I think it's a real telltale sign of what we should expect this summer. Yeah, I think it's indicative that this parade was utilized and weaponized for to be expressive for BLM, Antifa, and other organizations. And that's what they're doing. They're using identity politics. They're using the pride parade so that they can be expressive and create just complete havoc. And like you said, I, I, I were at the pride parade so many times. It was, it was just, as you said, it was exhausting. It was, it was hours on end, but it wasn't something we expected any violence. Absolutely not. And that wasn't, the, that was one of those parades that honestly it was, you know, usually those parades you, you you're laughing all day. It was kind of fun. You knew you were going to make overtime. It was a long day, but it was peaceful for the most part. But we're seeing something completely different because it's about BLM and these other organizations expressing their identity politics and their woke movement views and this anti-police rhetoric and this social justice and they utilizing the pride parade. And it, it just it really it, it goes part of their uh, it, it's just part of their their narrative. Yeah, I mean, it just looked like whoever wants to do has any bad intentions, as it has all free well to do it. The same that we're seeing in the new in, in New York City Transit, right? Because the leadership that's being that's not being exhibited in transit, I mean, it's the same way it's not being exhibited when we get out of transit. And now we're on the street and we're dealing with parades. I mean, I, I at one time we were the best. We were the best to deal with large scale events. We were the end all be all for large scale events, you know, and I don't think that's the case anymore. And, and, and I think even for public safety in the subway, when you get down to, to the minutia of that, where, where, you know, like you said, I, I, I agree. I, like, I agree with that statement. His, his demeanor, everything did not exhibit someone who actually cares about the public safety of citizens. It was more, I don't want to piss off my masters. John, you're 100% right. I used to say it all the time. There's no police department in the world that can compare to New York City Police Department when it comes to moving people. I mean, moving people, there's an art to it. And the New York City Police Department was top-notch. I, I, I don't think – I think we're losing that. We're losing that strength. I mean, other police departments throughout the world – I remember – and, John, you probably remember, too. We, we would have other police departments come to the police academy. I remember one coming – I think they were from Tokyo uh, – other police departments coming from around the world just to see how we handle mass demonstrations, how we move people, because there's an art to be able to move people without touching them. And there's no one better than the New York City Police Department. It's a shame that we're actually losing that. And we're losing that because of the, the legislation that has been enacted by New York City Council, by this woke movement, its anti-police advocates tripping away and chipping away at the New York City Police Department. The New York City Police Department was iconic and symbolic of the most professionalism and, and, and the art of policing. If, it, right? if you think of the art of policing, you think of the, you would think of the New York City Police Department. That's why there's so many shows that were based on the New York City Police Department. NYPD Blue, Blue Bloods, all these shows were based on the NYPD because it, it was the framework for policing. And it's a shame that we lost that. It's really upsetting. It, it's gone. And we have... Again, like you said, we don't have leaders. We have managers. There's a huge difference, and I'll say it again. I said it earlier. Managers manage things. Leaders manage people. They're not managing people. They're managing things because it's better for their own careers. Public safety, public safety has taken a backseat to the careers of these weak cowards. Uh, another thing, I, you know, I want to explore this more in depth, but I want to explain and, and, and do an actual whole podcast on this. You know, 
But I, I just want to talk for a second about the article that came out about the article that came out about the undercover uh, kid that worked for you specifically, how he uh, he said that he wasn't he was in a, he was in a, a narcotics unit in Manhattan North. And because he was white, because he was white, um, he feels that he had a disconnect with the team. There were many racial statements said and he said there were numerous times that they did not help him while he was out on buys. Now, not that he called a 13 or an 85, but he needed help while he was being ghosted, and the team just sat there and watched him get beat up. Eric, what are your thoughts on that? Because that was very controversial this week. I know both me and you got attacked for that. It's interesting that we got attacked for that. For one, not only did I get did we get attacked for that, but I also got attacked for that, that people who know Officer Olsen as well, and this is this is a great case to talk about because Officer Olsen actually specifically worked for me for several years in the, in, in PSA seven. He was part of my special operations unit. He was assigned to my anti crime team in PSA seven. I can tell you right now, he's a great guy, very intelligent, great cop, great observation skills, great eye, great team player, um, an honest guy. He's a former Marine. He's someone that you could depend on. Overall, just a great guy. I have nothing bad to say about him. Great cop. And and, and it's interesting, right? I want to just uh, reflect. I want to stop at that for a moment. Just reflect. Because when I was in the police department, and it started to become more prevalent about the racism that was towards the white cops, the white sergeants, the white lieutenants. We saw it in discretionary promotions. We see it. We see it now in recruitment, and we saw it before. I say it so many times. Anyone that watched this podcast, they're probably tired of me saying it because I said it so many times. If you're a white male or a white alpha female, you're not getting the job. There's complete racism towards whites in this job right now. The job is 54% minority majority, right? But there's complete racism. They're trying to out, out, oust the whites on the job. And now I was attacked yesterday, and so were you. Saying, oh, this is complete bullshit. There's no way that, that people weren't backing him up because he's white. So we have all these issues right now. Everyone agrees that all these issues, that cops are being suppressed because they're white. So it's impossible that this, this component is not to that point. Let this play out and let's see how this goes. Because we know Officer Olsen, especially those that worked for him, worked with him and worked alongside him. He's a good, he's a good cop and he's a guy that you know will have your back. So let's have his back now. Yeah, so I don't, I don't know Officer Olson, and I, I reshared the article, and I said that systemic racism exists in the NYPD against male whites. I said we see it in promotions, we see it in in assignments that are given out, we see it in, um, we see it in investigative bias, both by the NYPD and the CCRB. We also see it. When it goes down to prosecution, when things go criminally, when things go bad, we see a bias against male whites. There's a there's a significant bias, not only in the media, but in the criminal justice system, in the DA office. And that's all I said. And, I, and, and CCRB. I, I say, yeah, and, and CCRB. I said CCRB. I said the job and CCRB investigative bias. Um, I said there are invest, And that's all I said. And I posted the article and boom, boom, boom. When you call a 1085 or you call a 13, everyone's coming. I'm not retired. That's the, the comments that I've been getting left and right. You know, I'm not retired. You're retired. I've only been retired about a year. Eric's only been retired less than a year. 
I mean, I don't even care if I was retired five years. I'm going to go right to when we were at the height of policing, when there were guys that wouldn't go to 85s if certain people called 85s. Certain boss called an 85. They would, yeah, they would go. They would go, but they would get that real slow. It was always the same guys. If I needed something or if we were at 85s, it was always the same cars that were there right away, regardless of where they were or what they're on. And it was always the same cars showing up last. So, you know, I don't know racism. I don't know what, what, happened there i believe that i believe that things were said to him 1000 because things were said to me i would show up at my with my partner yeah how you guys doing whoa what are you guys doing down the jersey shore tonight and you know black sergeant show up at a detail and i was like wow i was like imagine if i said something like that to you you know and he gets nervous and i'm like don't worry bro it's fine i i can take a joke i said but imagine if i did that you know um and and that's kind of how i feel with this is like there were definitely things said but I, I could believe that if he more than if he was one of those guys that a shit magnet where shit was always going down, there were fights that there are people on his team that aren't quick to help him or aren't helping him at all. I could have 100 percent believe that because I've seen that my entire career. So it doesn't matter that I'm retired for just a year or Eric's retired for less than a year. I'm talking about experiences that I had. That's very possible. But the other thing that's very possible is if those other statements that I said are true. And nobody denies that. Nobody even did. I didn't get one pushback on any of that statement that I just made. I didn't get one pushback that that systemic racism doesn't exist. So if that exists and that's true, how could you possibly write off what this kid's saying about the racism? That's exactly my point. Before I retired and now, everyone agreed with me that there was complete racism towards whites when it comes to discretionary promotions. You and I did a podcast and we actually we actually showed the factual data that it takes a white captain approximately six years to reach the rank of inspector compared to black and brown counterparts about two years. I don't remember the exact facts, but th I think that was pretty no, much... Yeah. Right? I think pretty much some some of something. So we actually debunked that factual data. With, with that along, recruitment is a huge problem. There is definitely heavily more discipline on white officers than their counterparts. So we have all these issues. Everyone agrees. But there's no way that this could spill over to the cops that back in, back in uh, Olsen up the same way that they should. I, I Listen, like I said, I don't want to probe Olsen right now. He's got, he's got this case going on. I, I, I hope eventually we have an opportunity to talk to him, probably on a podcast. That would be a great opportunity to get his story. But what I do know is I have a personal, intimate relationship with him. He worked for me personally. I always, I always thought the world of him. He's a great cop. If I... If I had to go back in time, if I had to pick him again, absolutely. He's a great selection. One of the best cops I've ever had. Fantastic. He never showed any signs of racism. He was a Marine. Like I said, he was a team player. So if he says something, I'm going to give him the benefit of doubt because I know him. Um, but at the same time, for everyone to attack and say, ah, oh, there's no way this happened because they don't want to believe that this could happen. They don't want to believe that part of an organization, but, but I can also reflect on that, John, before I retired, I saw it and I would tell my guys in special operations, it's gotten to the point that you're better off not getting on the radio and asking for help. Just calling who, you know, will actually come in to help you. Yes, because people, they might actually show up, but I don't need bodies to show up. I need people that are actually going to actually take part and help put your hands in, pick up a shovel, pick up some dirt. Uh, plenty of cops will show up to an 85 and 85 is a call for assistance, a call for help. But when they get there, they're not doing anything. They're standing by the, behind the, by the cars. 
They want to say that they were there. They're showing FaceTime, but they don't want to bear any liability. And, John, you know I'm right about that. 100%. There's guys that don't want to make arrests. Oh, I'm going out after this. I got something to do tomorrow. Right? Whatever it is. And, and I feel for you guys. I, I know what that's like. But the only way that I was ever able to defeat that is I just let that go very early on in my career. And I said, you know what? When I go to work, whatever happens, happens. My plans are on standby until I sign out. You know, because I don't know when there's a rest going to be made. I never the, – the day that I said – every day that I've ever said I don't I, I can't make an arrest, I've, I've ended up in a shitstorm. So I stopped doing it cause to, to save my own mental health and my mental well-being. But there are guys there that go their whole career. Nah, 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 nah. I can't make an arrest. Nah, 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 nah. I can't. I'm not, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. And they're dictating what their day is. I mean, and that's not public safety. That's not doing your job. And uh, like I said, there's guys that are going at 85s and 13 slow because they don't want to get stuck with a collar. They don't want it. Now I'm sure they're worried about the CCRB. They're worried about a lot of other things coming down the pipeline. They don't want to be involved. And I, not everybody's going. No, no, I'm sorry. Not every cop out there is a great cop. Not every uh, cop out there gives a fuck. And that's always been true. Like I, I always said, it's 10%. 10% do the job. 10%, 90% shouldn't even get there. They just waste a check. They have a uniform on. They don't help you. If you call for help, they're, they're your worst enemy. They're going to they're gonna tell things that aren't even true, that they don't, even, they don't even know what they're looking at. So, I mean, you know, so like that's my whole thing, you know, and I, I appreciate everyone that, that, gives us counter arguments i do i do but i'm just like i i I'm, I'm kind of flabbergasted at the point that you could just immediately write it off with knowing everything else that's around there and saying oh no that's not true it can't be true why can't it be true you haven't you haven't you haven't gave a reason why it can't be true you know but there's a thousand reasons why it can be true you know, and, and, you know, I mean, and, and, you know, I, obviously, you know him. So then when you tell me that, of course, I'm going to support him. But even before I knew that, I still supported him because I'm like, this, there's, there's something there. There's something there. A hundred percent. Absolutely. You know, maybe we could even rectify this one with the cops right now. I'm not saying, and John, I think you agree on this. If I'm putting words in your mouth, please let me know. I don't think that the job or the guys in the job are just openly saying, I hate white people. I, I hate white cops. I don't think that's what they're saying. And that's what they're feeling. But it's become part of the system because this push to to, to do a complete 180 and turn the job around to have this diverse look, this diverse appearance to pander to this post-George Floyd movement, you know, part of this woke movement, this post-Obama, this the whole country is changing, has has spilled onto racism and bias and prejudice towards the white cops so that we can reflect this diverse police department, which we don't even know it's diverse anymore. But actually, let's be honest, to have a black and brown police department that panders to the black and brown community and also the leftist anti-police rhetoric movement. That's what this is about. So it spills over to the white cops, right? How do the white cops get affected? They're not getting recruited. They're not getting the job because we need less. We need to have more black and brown. We need to have more black and brown and specialized units. We can't have whites getting promoted. We need to show that we're promoting black and brown. We need to show that we have the first Dominican, the first Puerto Rican, the first female. We need to have the, so the whites get stepped aside for that. So in narcotics, it's very well that that's spilling over to narcotics as well. That's why I do believe, I believe the story is true if I didn't even know it was Officer Olsen. But because I know it's Officer Olsen, it just solidifies it even more because I know him. He worked for me, and he was an excellent cop. 
I can't say anymore. And he's a fellow Marine, Olsen Sepify. Yeah, and again, like I said, I, I like I, there was definitely things there that I believe that anybody could perceive as racist. But I think the real telltale is what he's saying is they didn't help me when I needed help. And how is anyone just writing that off? You don't know the cops he's talking about. He didn't name them specifically. You know, so like I, I can't just write that off. And I know a lot of undercovers and I speak to them and they tell me some stories that I don't know how anybody does that job. And yeah, depending on who your ghost is, that, that your life's on the line, they could get you killed. So it's a very high pressure, high tense situation. And like you said, bias exists. Racism exists. Is it blatant right out in the open? No, I don't think it's, oh, yeah, 100%. I agree with you like that. But I'll just relate it to my own situation, right? I'll relate it to my own situation right at the end of my career. Worked with these guys. They were all Italian guys, just like me. All lived in Staten Island, just like me. All came from Brooklyn, just like me. I knew them my whole career. Knew them my whole career, right? COVID hits. We all work. We worked the whole time. What was it? Eight months, whatever it is. Riots hit. We work through that. We go through all that stuff. Um, everybody gets COVID. Vaccine comes out. Nobody's taking it. I'm not taking, I'm not taking, I'm not taking it. Right? Then the mandate comes. Boom, 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 boom. Everybody takes it. I don't take it. Mandate says, I didn't take it. I got to wear a mask. I kid you not. People were like, yo, you got to wear a mask. I was like, here's my mask. Put it on me. Make me wear it. I'm not wearing it. Like, that's it. And and But like the the, the mind frame was sick to me there. It was like, well, we we instituted this, this, we normalized this, right? And there's not even race or any differences amongst us other than a stupid order from a, a stupid order that came down, same way all of this diversity, equity, inclusion stuff's coming down. It's all illegal, just like these mandates. It's all, all violates OEO law, same way. So all this stuff is normalizing this type of behavior that this person is less than. So I kind of could see exactly how it could happen. I see exactly how it could happen where people could just turn on you and say, no, you have to wear a mask. Well, I, what's the big deal? You just have to go take a test and wear a mask. I'm like, but why don't you? I only had COVID once. You had COVID three times. What do you mean? And it's the same thing with this kid where it's like, well, you know, he's really not in the hierarchy anymore. He's not going to be the one to get promoted. I'm going to go first. And it creates a two-tiered society, couple that with maybe joking around, and now you leave me out there and help me, and you endangered my life, 100%. I can see exactly what he's talking about. Well, we see it right now. It's prevalent, it's, and it's completely obvious. There's a double standard right now. John, videos emerge every day of police officers, unfortunately, doing dumb things, doing dumb videos. And I've seen some videos. I watched, and I've seen some videos come out with cops throwing gang signs, Black and brown cops doing some silly things on different videos. And I said to myself, and John, you and I talked, let's let's be honest. And I know it makes cops uncomfortable. It's the truth. If we did that as as white lieutenants, if we had we threw out gang signs or had, had some stupid videos out there doing some dumb things, no one would just laugh at it. We would get torn apart. It would make national news. CCRB would come after us. We would be, uh, we we'll, they would probably throw the discipline matrix at us. It was completely would be completely weaponized. But with some of the black and brown cops and some of the things I've seen them do, and and it just gets laughed at and gets buried under a rug, I don't think that would happen with us. I, I, what do you think? Absolutely not. 
I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, if you threw up a gang sign right now, I'll tell you right now, you would be fired. You would be on national TV. You would have every chief across the country in every major city saying that you shouldn't be employed. Every Republican GOP candidate who, who backs the blue and cops count and police matter. And Bill Bratton would write a nice op-ed about how you deserve to be fired. And this is not all we need. But what happened when we seen when we seen a young a Spanish kid do it? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Didn't even make news. I probably I'm gonna say he's probably not even gonna get this one. Nothing's even gonna happen to him. It's not even gonna get this one. Then we see, then I see guy that's in your spot, which is absolutely ridiculous, taking videos with a gun, right? So you know what that is? Tampering with evidence. If you did that with a gun that they just pulled off a perpetrator that needs to go down to the lab, there's a whole protocol there. More than likely, he did not pull that gun off himself, so his fingerprints should not be anywhere on that gun. Nothing should be on that gun. That gun should go to the lab. It should be. Instead, he makes a video. They do a whole video, and of course, this video is going to get out. I don't know what generation this guy is. And all and and our in our generation, you would have been shunned if you pulled the phone out when any of us were around. This guy's promoting. Give it a video. Of course, this is going to leak. Of course, one of those guys is going to leak that to everybody. And where do we see it from? Copwatch. So one of you guys leaked it to Copwatch. One of you got more. You got more holes in your ship than the Iraqi Navy. That's what. Those are one of your guys gave that video to Copwatch. That is pathetic. And you're a lieutenant in the police department. And honestly, Eric, if that was you, they would be collaring you. They would be collaring you for tampering with evidence. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know what? Nothing's going to happen to him either. Absolutely. And, and that's just, it solidifies the double standard. And it solidifies even more the double standard with Sal Greco. Sal Greco was terminated. If anyone else was in Sal's shoes and they had some type of friendship with someone that was arrested and convicted and pardoned, if they were black and brown, or their alliance was with someone that was progressive or Democrat or socialist, I, I don't think they would be terminated. And, and we're seeing this double standard. We're seeing this this complete bias and prejudice towards the white cops throughout the New York City police moment. And, and, and we're not talking about it. And you, you get these chiefs like Chief Kemper and uh, Chief Schnell. They're not going to say anything because they don't care. They don't care about the They don't care about the men and women below them. They don't care about people. They care about things. The things they care about, their pension, their stars on their shoulder, their pay. You know, they care about sucking up to Mayor Adams. Because it's not about public safety. It's about them. And they're letting the white cops, they know it. Deep down at dinners and weddings and their friends who they talk to, they, t they speak about the truth, but not out in public. And you know what? One of them one day is going to get caught behind closed doors speaking about what they really do. John, you and I don't have to worry about that because when we speak behind closed doors and we speak on the podcast, it's the same conversation. John, you say it all the time. Sometimes John and I have conversations. We, we talk to him about you know what's going on in the news and what we're going to talk about in the podcast and how can we help the cops. And John said it one day. He said, we should just record these conversations. It's basically a podcast. But we know these other people out there, that's not what they're doing. Oh, hug a cop. Thank you, cop. You should ask yourself, what are they really saying behind closed doors? The saying what me and you are saying. That's exactly, exactly what they're saying. That's exactly what they're saying. Saying exactly what me and you are saying. Dude, it's it, it you know, it it really is it, it really is just coming down to like a, a a bad way. And you know, 
everyone looks at us like we're painting this negative brush. We're always negative. We're always doing these things. Uh, we're always talking about bad things. But this is what's going on. We're talking about the truth of what's going on. We're not trying to make the job look bad. We're not trying to make Chief Kemper look bad. He did that all by himself on TV. We didn't, we didn't have to do that. We didn't have to point out all of the things, right? But honestly, they're not protecting cops. Again, look at Eric Dem. Look at Sal Greco. Look at me. Why are we not still on the police department? I could crush that JST. Eric could crush the JST for that. He goes that the guys that aren't that don't know. It's it's just the the basic uh, skills test to get on. Run this, lift weights, fight with somebody, pull a dummy. Eric could kill that test. Sal Greco could kill that test. We'll crush all these young guys, all of them. You know, and it's like why are why? So we're not protecting our cops. We're letting sending our cops out to the slaughter. We're going the whole way of this progressive ideology that we none of us believe in, by the way, just some people believe on it only when they're on TV, but they don't actually believe it in their office and their family, like Eric said. And and we should just be silent about it and pretend like everything's hunky dory. No, sorry. Sorry. You screwed Eric. You screwed Sal. You screwed me. I mean, I didn't get to retire when I wanted to. Eric didn't get to retire when he wanted. Sal's got terminated for nothing. For, Sal got terminated for for me and Eric. I'm gonna tell you guys a story. And Eric, you feel feel free to chime in on this one. Me and Eric, I'm not gonna say a name, but we worked with a girl. We worked with a girl in the 120 precinct. Her boyfriend was the the number one drug dealer in Park Hill, Park Hill Staten Island section where Wu Tang Clan's from. He was implicated in murders. That was her boyfriend. Guess what that is? Actual criminal association. She was caught on a wiretap saying to his his other his other his side piece girl when i see you i'm going to fucking kill you so not only not only is she criminally associating with a gangster she she is threatening that she's going to kill someone as an active cop you know what happened to her don't do that again you know it's funny I, I, do you know what happened to her years later she shot she fired a couple of shots at him and got fired no, he got, it was a different one. He got killed, that kid. That was a different oh, that, one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we had quite a few perps. She was a sergeant at that time. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, uh, you know, so we're talking about the right person. Yeah. Rogers. Yeah. So I, <laughs> yeah. But, but my point is, she went on to have a career successfully, obviously, because she made boss until she decided to actually follow through with that threat and try to kill somebody. Um, she had it went on a successful career and, and Eric and Eric Sal gets the same exact charge. Sal gets the same exact charge and he gets fired. And, and just one point of hypocrisy on Sal is that really bothers me and irks me even more. Now it's like he was fired for supposedly doing security for Roger Stone. Right? So now he's not, he's not on the police department. He's not, he doesn't have any money. He's not getting paid. He doesn't have any health benefits. Yet he still hangs out with Roger Stone. He's friends with Roger Stone. He doesn't get, he's not on Roger Stone's payroll doing security. So they lied. <laughs> he's, he's not even doing uncompensated security. What, what is uncompensated security? Is that a favor? What? What, what is that? We still don't know what that is. I feel, listen, 
you, the men and women of the NYPD, you have to support Sal Greco. We have to stop with this ideology that, oh, it won't happen to me. Sal Greco is you. It can happen to you. John McCarry is every one of you. Every, tomorrow they could come up with some new legislation, some new rule, and make you do something you don't want to do that just goes against everything that your body tells you you shouldn't do, or your mind, your family, whatever you, whatever goes against the grain of your of your ideology, and you're forced to. Or you could be me. You're going out there, you're doing intrusive police work, and you're trying, you legitimately care about public safety, grabbing guns off the street, and the next thing you know, you're enemy number one. And your 50A looks terrible, and you're a monster for life. Honestly. That's what's happening. Absolutely. And, uh, guys, I just want to, before we end off, I just want to, I'm going to play a word from our sponsors, Henry and John. You know, give them a call, you know, free consultation, whatever you need. And, um, you know, just tell them you, that we sent you. You know, they're an investment firm. They're great guys. I'm sure you'll like them if you, if you guys give them a call. If you guys need any financial advice, you're looking at retiring, you're looking to do something else with your money, looking for investments, definitely give them a call. Tell them we sent you. Law enforcement professionals dedicate their lives to serving and protecting our community. But who's protecting their financial futures? That's where Laidlaw Blue comes in. Our wealth management platform is specifically designed for the law enforcement community. Laidlaw Blue is a division within Laidlaw Wealth Management run by retired New York City detective John McDermott. His status as a retired detective uniquely positions him to establish a deep connection between Laidlaw Blue and the law enforcement community. Our platform is easy to use and provides a range of financial services, including investment management, retirement planning, and insurance solutions. With Laidlaw Blue, you can secure your financial future and provide for your loved ones. Our team of experienced financial advisors understands the unique challenges and opportunities that law enforcement professionals face. We're here to help you navigate the complexities of financial planning and achieve your goals. Laidlaw Blue, secure your financial future today. Book a meeting using the QR code displayed or call us directly on 888-901-BLUE. That's 888-901-BLUE. That's it, baby. That's right. it. You want to end us off, Eric? Outstanding. Listen, I think we went over some great stuff. Sal Greco supports Sal Greco. He's being targeted with... with, with threats right now because he's putting pressure on the New York City Police Department. This is real hypocrisy. You have to support him. Help this New York cop.com. Help, you know, anything you give it, any, any type of funding for his lawsuit for the hypocrisy. And honestly, just to help him out in life because his career was altered, but his life ultimately as well. And he showed great strength to this and his strength is for all of us. What's going on in transit from these weak managers is just completely ridiculous, putting everyone at risk here. Think about your own safety. I hope you listened to the tips that John and I gave you. Uh, thank you for uh, watching us. Thank you for viewing us. 265 Police Live brought to you by New York's Finest Retired Unfiltered Podcast.